Welcome back to episode number 30 of Connection is Magic. This week, our guest is the illustrious attorney, Gary Greenberg. He's a music attorney based in Los Angeles, California. He spent eight years as the in-house attorney for American Idol. He's represented multi-platinum and Grammy-winning artists in the urban space such as Tupac, Bone thugs and harmony DJ Dahi, and many more. He's also a world-class jazz drummer and has been featured on many hit records, including some with Snoop Dogg himself. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to Connection is Magic. I'm your host, Samson Shulman, a former music executive turned podcaster and coach. In a world obsessed with the highlight reel and keeping our difficulties hidden behind the curtain, we end up feeling lonely and isolated, and opportunities for human connection are missed. On this podcast, we dive deep with our guests and get them to share those dreaded, unfiltered pieces. We learn how to make lemonade out of life's lemons and realize adversity isn't sent to break us, but rather shape us into the greatest versions of ourselves. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Now let's begin our journey back home to connection. All right, welcome everybody to a special episode. Today we have our man Gary Greenberg in the building. How are you, man? Outstanding. Let's um, let's start back at the beginning, Gary, if you mm-hmm. wouldn't mind. Uh, tell us, uh, where are you from? I was born in San Diego, but I went to high school in L.A. Okay. So I'm kind of a native Southern Californian, which is rare these days. Being from Detroit, I've never really had to experience that, but yeah. Well, it's a beautiful place. Everybody wants to come here and there get famous. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up, um, you know, let's say high school or whatever, you know, did, did you did you want to do the band thing yourself, being a drummer, where you're like, I'm going to get signed and be a big star? And I mean, I grew up in a pretty entrepreneurial household. My dad was a real estate developer, mm. and uh, his father was a very entrepreneurial guy, owned hotels, and was a developer. It's, so it was kind of in my blood mm. to be an entrepreneur. Um, and I love playing drums. I love the art. But frankly... It doesn't fulfill all of me. It fulfills part of me. But when I was playing full-time, I was kind of starting to burn out on it. Every band I was ever in, I always did all the business. Not because... I mean, every, because I wanted to. Mm. Nobody else wanted to. I'm the one making the deals with the club owners. I'm the one collecting the money. Because I enjoyed it. I needed to do a little bit of business, whatever little bit I could. And mm. I think after two years of just playing full-time... I just wasn't happy. And what about family-wise? Because that that always plays into it. I feel right. We all want to make our family happy or proud. Or yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, obviously, ever since I could walk, I was told I was going to be a lawyer. And so when I announced after college that I was going to play music full time, it didn't go over well. <laughs> I figured <laughs> not at all. Um, and things were very strained for a while with my family. So, of mm-hmm. course, when I came to the decision, you know what, I'm going back to law school, it was like hallelujah, you know. <laughs> finally, finally he's come, come yeah. back to God here. Yeah, they were, they were popping champagne, right? Exactly. <laughs> but it was okay. You know, it's like, I think, I mean, honestly, the last thing I ever wanted to be was a lawyer. I think maybe because I was told that's what I had to do. And so, to some extent, I think... Coming around to it, once I realized there was this thing called music law, which I only realized because one of the bands I was in had their own music lawyer, who I Mm. thought was like the coolest guy ever. Mm. Once I realized that there was a way I could actually be a lawyer and still be creative and still be help 
you know, musicians and be entrepreneurial and still play music, I was like, okay, this is a way I can, you can only fight your destiny so long. Mm. And I felt like a great peace came over me when I said, okay, I can actually do both. I'm never going to stop playing. But, you know, there, obviously there were some of the practical things came into it too. I think I did start to realize that it's a tough way to make a living, even back then, just being, especially being a drummer. It's one thing if you're the artist, because as an artist, as the front person, you can write songs, you can start building assets, building property, but as a drummer, you're a hired hand. And, That's true. And also that was right around the time when drum machines were starting in and I saw more and more people were starting to like lose gigs, get replaced in studios by drum machines. And mm. a lot of drummers I was hanging out with were like, oh man, you know, there's less work. And I just, I kind of saw a glimpse into the future. Like I didn't want to have my whole life be at the whim of other people. I mean, I basically, there was one band I was in that I was really excited about that I got fired because... The lead singer thought his girlfriend liked me. I mean, it was literally wow. about that. She was flirting with me one day and backstage, and see, the next day I'm gone. And I'm like, <sighs> it's kind of an epiphany to mm -hmm. me. Like, you know what? I don't want this to be the rest of my life. I mm. need something that I can hold on to a little more. What age were you when that happened to you? I was like 22. See, I don't know. When you're 22, you still think like you can conquer the whole world, I feel mm -hmm. like, you know? But uh, but it's cool that you had that realization early. But it was a combination yeah. of things. It yeah. wasn't just, no, the music thing is going to be too unstable for me. Mm -hmm. um, it was that combined with it. It wasn't really making me happy. And then, I, like I said, music law was like this gift from heaven because it's really, you know, what music lawyers do is not what most lawyers do. And so it's a very sort of creative, entrepreneurial building type of part of the law. Um, unlike a lot of other areas of the law, which are all about fighting and, you know, all the rest of it. Making it as an artist is one of the most extreme examples, I think, of overcoming adversity. Oh, it's brutal. And, yeah, in fact, this would be interesting. You know, you said, how many artists actually recoup their original record deal? I mean, it was you know, I, abysmal. For a long time, I thought it was zero. I mean, or very close to zero. Um, I've been corrected recently. I guess more and more artists are actually recouping only by virtue of the fact that they're not getting as much money. The old cliche is, well, the good thing about me not giving you a lot of money is you'll recoup faster. Right. That's the oldest hustle in the music. But that's business. true now. Well, it kind of is true. <laughs> okay. It is true. It still is a bit of a hustle, but I mean, it's really hard to persevere and to keep it going when... You're constantly, you're, you're making very slow progress. Mm -hmm. um, because all bands, you're trying to keep together a group of people. Everybody's got their own life, their own pressures, their own, you know, things pulling them in other directions. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, every band I was in broke up for one reason or another. Either the key guy got a better offer to do something else or somebody decided I'm done, I'm going back to medical school or whatever it is. I mean, and then again, it can also break down because of ego, because of really petty human things. Mm. One guy feels like he's not getting enough mic time mm. and the band starts fighting and one guy feels like he's really the main guy in the band and his name should be bigger than everybody else. Maybe she even be getting a bigger yeah. cut of the gigs. Everybody else gets pissed. You know, you argue over songwriting. You argue over the one guy says, well, I'm really writing all the songs. And everybody else says, no, we write them together. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a million things that can happen. 
relationships are fragile mm-hmm. in the best of situations. In the best of situations, right? Yeah. You try and put together four or five people, and you've got—I don't know what the exponential number there is—how many relationships you have to keep intact mm. in that group. Mm. So historically, groups have imploded. You know, even the big ones. Artists live with a tremendous amount of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Anybody mm-hmm. involved in the music business is in a constant state of anxiety, whether you're a business person or an artist. A manager, whatever. Manager. <laughs> because, honestly, it's one of the most unpredictable businesses on the planet. As much as the executives try and make it predictable with their charts and their market research and all the rest of it, the fact of the matter is... Things, hits happen from the most unexpected places. Mm. I think most of the time when a hit happens, it catches everybody by surprise. And Mm. when something doesn't work, everybody is surprised. And public is very fickle. Absolutely. And so when your stock and trade is predicting the public taste, you're going to live in a state of anxiety all the time. Very well said. Um, Now, it's interesting, though, because in your position... You know, you're kind of like, what do they say? The house always wins. You're like the house. You're like the casino. <laughs> you know, because you're doing the deals. They're coming and going. Yeah. And I'm sure all your clients, you hope for the best, of course. But yeah. you're not you're not going down with the shit. That's the thing. Well, you're that's, not, yeah. that's why I'm doing this yeah. instead of... One exactly. of the reasons I'm doing this instead of playing drums. Exactly. I mean, it is much more stable and predictable. Yeah. I mean, the lawyer yeah. is probably the most stable part of the team, for sure. Yeah. Um... So, and now, you know, it's not like you, I don't think you thought that going in or maybe you no, did. I you no, I really didn't. Right. I, I thought that number one, I needed to do something entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when I found out what music lawyers did in terms of deal making and contracts and putting people together and sort of interacting with everybody else, in the t- I thought, wow, that's really dynamic. It's sort of what I do anyway now mm-hmm. on a very street level for all my bands. Mm-hmm. I can do this. And again, the voice in the back of my head, Gary's going to be a lawyer, Gary's going to be a lawyer, Gary's going to be a lawyer. Yeah. All of a sudden it was like, wow, I can, this is a win-win for me. There was an artist that had a big hit on the radio, they were taking off, right? And you were doing that deal. Right, I was and doing I, a publishing deal for them. You were doing a publishing deal for them with a major publisher, right? Exactly. And can you tell the listeners what happened in that? Yeah, again, without naming names, um, I was a very young lawyer. This was one of my first really big, successful acts. So I was very excited. They were all over the radio, right? Yeah. yeah, had a, yeah they yeah. had a couple big mm-hmm, hits going. Mm-hmm. And we were being offered really good publishing deals. Mm-hmm. And the lawyer who represented the publishing company mm-hmm. um, called me one day and said, I'm, you know, basically, I'm taking your act from you. <laughs> and so he came to me and he said... I really like your client. I'm going to take them, basically. And I said, well, you can't do that. They're my client. And he goes, well, I can. And I've already talked to them about it. They understand that if they want this deal to happen and other deals that I can make happen for them, then, you know, thank you very much for getting them to this point. You're a little fish and I'm a big fish. And That's ice cold, and Gary. Is, <laughs> That's these, ice cold, These are the man. rules of the jungle. And, wow. and I, at the time, I was just shocked. And I said, this seems really fucked up. You know, I mean, this is unethical and all the rest of it. And he goes, look, one day when you're older, you'll understand that this is just the rules of the jungle. Mm. That, you know, the big fish eat the little fish, and that's the way it goes. And um, I remember I called my client, and my client said, really sorry, but, like, we need this deal badly, and um, we love you, and we thank you for getting us to this point, but 
we don't really feel like we have a choice. It stung for a little while, but then I realized, okay, I just had to watch my back better. It, okay. it taught me. You know, if somebody told me something once early on in my career, which was really valuable. They said, when stuff like that happens to you, you can't get mad at the person who you think has wronged you. Mm. You have to look at them like a teacher because mm. they're teaching you something. Wow. And so after that, I always watched my back. Wow. A lot. I was very naive and I didn't know. And I, th- when I look back on it, I realized the warning signs were there, that this guy was sort of taking meetings with them and talking mm-hmm. to them, and I was sort of allowing it. I wasn't interjecting myself enough and really mm-hmm. making sure my client... What I should have done was had competing offers going, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. then I could have used that. I mean, there are things I could have mm-hmm. done to protect myself that I didn't know because I was young. A little green, naive. I was point. green, so I was very ripe for the picking. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I, I don't really, looking back on it in retrospect, I mean, I would never do that to somebody. Yeah. But I have a different code of ethics right. than, than most people. But at the time, it was part of paying my dues. Lawyers pay dues just like artists pay dues, just like managers pay dues. Is that Everybody right? Everybody pays okay. dues. Okay. Just being a lawyer doesn't mean all of a sudden, like, oh, you never struggle, you never pay dues, you never get screwed. No, not at all. Well, you pick this area where you're like, you know, totally in this in nothing, the, no, it's, it's, this safe bubble, and that's no, not right. It yeah, ain't, yeah, it ain't yeah. a bubble. It ain't a bubble, and it ain't safe. Hmm. And, um, you know, you can always get second-guessed. You know, people are always sometimes pointing fingers. Mm-hmm. When something goes south, the artist is never to blame. So they're always look to blame other mm. people. Look, blame the manager, blame the lawyer, blame the agent, blame everybody else. So it's not like lawyers are immune from... From that wrath. From that wrath when <laughs> yeah, things yeah. don't go well. Yeah. So I don't... I mean, I'm always on guard all the time. Now, you know, fortunately in my career, I haven't really had many of those situations, really hardly any, just because I'm such a good person. I yeah. always do the right thing. Put the good energy out there. And I'm always honest and I'm always straightforward. So people don't really want to mess with me. Yeah. Even if they want to blame somebody, they're like, oh, we can't blame Gary because yeah. Gary always does his best. Yeah. But it, you can never really sit there and rest, rest easy. It's a stressful business. Mm. And I believe me, I take on a lot of stress every day. It's not, it's not this like all smiley, happy job. I mean, it's, it's a lot of stress because I'm the one place that all my clients come to calm them down. That's right. When things seem like they're spiraling out of control, people need to know they can call Gary and Gary will, Gary will ground him. He'll be the rock. He's always steady. And I'm good at that. Mm. But it takes a toll. It's not easy to be that rock all the time. No. So believe me, everything, everything has its, has its positives and negatives. You're like, uh, yeah, I was going to say, you're like a police officer in a way. Like police yeah. officers see a lot of bad shit mm-hmm. and you see a lot of bad shit, don't you? I do. I see <laughs> yeah. stuff that would just really, uh. you know, make your skin crawl that people do to each other because the music business is a very exploitative business. Mm. People, you're talking about people's dreams and whenever you've got artists running around who so desperately want something to happen for them, they're easy prey. Mm. And believe me, this town, this town has the most talented artists in the world. I believe that. They also have the most talented hustlers. Oh, wow. Well so said, man. It's like when you look out, when I look out out of my window over the L.A. basin, I see a lot of sheep and I see a lot of wolves. wolves. 
and hopefully I try and save as many sheep as possible from the wolves. That's part of my job, but I can't save them all. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're like the Humane Society here. It's, it's awesome. It's true. <laughs> you know, you even told me about where, you know, deals will come into play and, like, lifelong friends who are figuring out their structure and splits and all that. You've seen long friendships just fucking fall apart, of right? Course. Over a deal... Of course. I mean... And it's not just over money. I mean, money is part of it, but I've seen deals fall apart over whose name is going to go first in a credit. I mean, there's a lot of emotions at stake when mm -hmm. it comes to art like this. Mm -hmm. People get really invested in their art. Yeah. And it becomes precious to them. And so they're not rational mm. about it. Um I literally had a deal not too long ago where it was held up for almost six months because these two producers could not agree whose name was going to produce by X and Y. And, and who was going to be X who was going to be Y? And who was going to be Y. And these people had a history with each they other? Had they had history. Had, okay. Yeah. And they had done other deals together and it was always X was always first and X was my guy. And all of a sudden Y one day decided, you know what? I'm tired of you always being first. I want to be first. Hmm. And what, what was the result? What happened? Well, ultimately, X went first because okay. Y finally broke down and said, I need my money. <laughs> because X was a little more successful and oh it was able to wait it out. But I mean, I could not believe the conversations I had with, with Y's lawyer saying, and, and unfortunately, they never worked together after that because that Y decided to stand up and say, wait a minute, I want to go first. Oh. And they ended up fighting over it. It like killed That's an entire wonderful collaboration where they had produced a lot of hit records together that sounds like a total ego getting the best of somebody though doesn't it well, you never you know. know yeah of course but you never know where it's coming from you never know if it's somebody talking in their ear you never yeah. know if it's a girlfriend or somebody else saying you know you really why are you always second but you, you never know what gets in somebody's head that's true have you seen you know say a brand new artist just coming out you know, nobody gives a shit about that new artist. And then once some, some success starts setting in, oh, totally. all of a sudden people are clamoring. There's people getting in the artist's ear. It's almost like uh, I'm envisioning like blood in the water. Oh, Sharks come, you know what I mean? Well, again, exactly. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, and some of the sharks are good sharks. I mean, some of the sharks are the kind of sharks you want. Mm. You know, you want when the blood's in the water, you want the big agent at William Morris. Unfortunately, a lot of times in our business, success tends to happen quickly when it happens. Mm -hmm. Even though you may have toiled for a lot of years to get there, when it happens, it tends to happen quick. Yeah. And a lot of times you're unprepared for it. Mm -hmm. And so you don't, it's not like, like most businesses, when you get successful, it happens sort of gradually. You get one successful restaurant, then you open up another one mm -hmm. and then you go buy a house to help you with taxes and you start getting investments. It's like you have a chance to sort of ramp up and learn how to be a good business person. It's true. But artists, a lot of times, are not prepared for it. It happens really fast. And then all of a sudden, every friend they ever had, every family member they ever had wow. is like, oh, wow, can you help me out? Can you give me a loan? Now you're rich yeah. and famous. And all of a sudden, they've got entourages of people that want to just hang around and be around them. And they've got these huge expenses and... It's like, and it gets really overwhelming. And mm. artists, a lot of times, just don't know how to handle it. Mm. And sometimes just the weight of all that brings them down. You've seen that? Oh, totally. I've totally seen that. I've seen family members turn on artists. 
Family members too. Family members, wow, absolutely. Man. Are oh. like, you know, well, you owe this to me now. Now that you're a big success, like, you know, I've always wanted to start my own clothing line. So of course you're going to help me, right? Like <laughs> you're going to put your name on my clothing line, right? And the artist is like, well, no, I'm not. <laughs> really? like, and the cousin um, is like, we what? talked about yeah, this yeah, when right. we were kids. Like, are you kidding <laughs> me now? That's great. How could you leave me hanging? <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> oh, my God. I think it would be interesting to talk about is you do a lot of work in the hip hop mm-hmm. business. Can we yeah. talk about how you found your way into hip hop? Sure. My first really big client of my own mm-hmm. when I was at, I worked at two firms first before I went off on my own. Mm-hmm. And my first really big client that was my client was Young MC, who had the song Bust a Move. Okay, right, yeah, everybody knows that. Which yeah. was a huge song. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the first Grammy, first hip hop Grammy. Oh, nice. It was a ginormous, it's still a huge song. Yeah. 25 years later. Yeah, bust, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So there's not many songs that are that iconic. Yeah, true, especially and, in hip hop, right? Especially you know, in hip hop, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, what ends up happening, like in any other business, is success in one area begets success in other areas. In other words, because I was out in the community with Marvin, his name is Marvin Young, Young mm-hmm. MC. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the other clients that were starting to come to me were mm-hmm. other rappers, right, right, who okay. I was meeting places and with him. So I just started to get into the rap world a lot. But then it got really interesting because as a drummer. Most of the records I started to play on, most of the gigs I got were also in hip hop. Um, because I'm a trained jazz drummer, I'm a jazz fusion drummer, and hip hop is jazz based. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't really realize that, but jazz and hip hop are like kissing cousins. Mm. That's why a lot of hip hop artists will sample old jazz records and things because they want to get that ding, 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 ding. Absolutely, they want to yeah. get that, the hop. I remember the very first job I got was I represented a producer who we, he was getting in trouble because he had sampled a drum loop from something and he got kind of busted mm. by I didn't tell anybody. And I got a call from the label saying, like, you need to take this out. Like, we're planning on releasing this record next week and we just... You need to get rid of the sample. Yeah. Mm. And my guy was freaking out. He's like, well, that's like the whole foundation of the track. And I'm mm. like, well, let me hear it. And I heard I said, I can do that. He's like, what do you mean? Goes, this was a client of yours. This was a client of mine. He's like, what do you mean you can do that? I'm like, I can do it. Just, I'll, I'll bring my drums down to the studio. I can totally recreate that. Oh, man. It's just cowbell and, and, and a hip-hop beat. I could totally do it. Huh. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. So I went down there and I did it, and they loved it. And then this producer and I started, he used to use me for a lot of things. Wow. So I was on Bone Thugs and Harmony records and... Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg records and all kinds of hip-hop records because, again, a lot of times they would already have a beat programmed mm. and they wanted me to come and play over it and just do that bing, jing, ding, 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 just to okay. give it the little, they called it that bounce. She's going to give it that bounce. So here I am sort of playing music in that genre too, which also... Just sort of, furthered your hip-hop roots. Right, and I ended up yeah. representing Bone Thugs and Harmony. Oh, you were their lawyer for yeah, some time. I was okay. their lawyer wow, for a long time. Nice. And the Loonies and... All yeah. kinds of iconic rap groups. And it's crazy. I personally like the music. I mean, I like the genre. I think at least rhythmically, I don't always understand the lyrics, mm-hmm. frankly. Um, but rhythmically, I think it's among the most adventurous music has been for some time. In terms of the grooves and the way it fuses different yeah. kinds of rhythms. Mm. I think that 
that hip hop culture, at, at least in its in it at its best, mm-hmm. is a is an art form of protest of public statement. I represent MC Ren, who is one of the original yeah. members of NWA. Yeah. And when you see a genre of music that can affect co- social change mm. and social commentary, to me, that's taking music. It, it's the needle of pop culture, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. And I, I, I think, unfortunately, we don't. Me personally, I don't think we feel see enough of that these days. When you talk about shit going wrong, which mm-hmm. is a theme of this podcast right now, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, Hip hop is like. You know, the, the border of, like, Pakistan, where you've got, like, yeah. there's a lot of shit that goes wrong, particularly in hip-hop. There is. Um, would you say it's for the reason that people probably guess it is, which is, you know, there's a street mentality, I think. You know, people bring that sort of street mentality a lot of times to the business side of it. There's, I know certainly Suge Knight did. Yeah, well, I didn't <laughs> you know, know Suge, thank God. Yeah. But there, there's some of that. Um, yeah. But I don't think that's the real heart of it. I mean, the genre itself, unfortunately, because of sampling, that creates a lot of problems. The it's fact, on a practical level. On a practical level, the art form relies heavily on copyright infringement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Whenever you're building a genre of music that relies on using other people's music, mm-hmm. you're already building in potential problems. And obstacles, um, and especially because the whole sample clearance thing can get so expensive and tedious, people don't always do it. They try and hide it. Mm-hmm. They speed it up. They slow it down. They do just enough of it, and it's but it's it's treacherous. And a lot of people don't want to always do business with hip hop people because they're afraid of samples. Mm-hmm. It ends up being very contentious in all kinds of deals that I do when there's samples at issue. But of course, there is a certain street mentality, but I don't think that's unique to hip-hop. I've seen it in rock. I've seen it in other places, too. Okay. Same mentality um, of people that basically came from a survival. When I say street, I mean more like people who've had to really struggle to survive. If you come from that place, it's hard to have the long view of business. Mm -hmm. You're always like, where am I getting paid? Where am Mm -hmm. I getting paid? Where am I getting paid? And that can make business challenging Mm -hmm. to do. But I don't think that's unique to rap. I've seen it in other areas of of the business too and the interesting thing is is it's very misunderstood because I think a lot of people sort of stereotype rappers as you know gangsters or whatever whatever but again the music I just think I mean it's it's proven to be a very resilient art form I mean people wrote it off I remember early on when I represented like I said Young MC and then Bone Thugs and some of the other groups I represented a lot of my colleagues were like you don't want to get too many rap clients, man, because that's gonna that genre is gonna die. They um, thought it was gonna die. Oh yeah, early on, people thought this is a fad, this is going out. Oh my like, god! Honestly, like, how resilient can an art form be where people are just yelling into a microphone? I think rock is that way. It's, I well, think it, rock feels like it's dead. Totally. We spoke on it earlier. You know, rock at times can feel one dimensional. There's just so many ways you could go in hip hop that allow it to. It's true. Keep morphing, and you keep know, which is what it's doing. Yeah, exactly. You worked on the um, on the uh, American Idol show yeah. for a little while, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So take us through that, maybe how you um, landed that gig. The show was just starting, and what American Idol did, it was an English company, and what they do is um, they decided early on, because they 
once the contestants get to a certain point, and they do this now with The Voice, all the, the shows have followed this model. Mm-hmm. They make them sign, the contestants, when they get to a certain point, they have to sign a record deal and a management deal and a merch deal and a touring deal. Before the show's over, right? Before the show's over. If they don't sign all that stuff, they don't continue. They don't mm-hmm. go on the show. Um, and so... Does that, wait, I just got to pause. That seems really you know, heavy and fucked up to me to like, like, like put people in a headlock for life. I mean, I know you're giving well, it's not for life. It's not for life because it's only if you get to a certain point, are they even really going forward with you? It's usually quite frankly, it's only the winner sort of guaranteed all that stuff, but they want options on everybody else. Right. Just in case. Right. There's somebody who came in like a Daughtry who was, Oh, that's right. He didn't even win. Yeah. He came in like fourth or fifth. That was season five of Idol. And I represented the contestants. Actually, Taylor Hicks won that year and Daughtry, they picked up an option on him and signed him. So they want the option to sign everybody anyway. So they've got to get everybody to sign all these contracts. And they decided it would be chaos for everybody to have their own lawyers. So what they do is they want them all to have one lawyer for that process. Mm. And so they actually do like an American Idol for lawyers where they bring in four or five lawyers and everybody gets like a half hour to make their pitch to the contestants. You mean you as the lawyer? You as the lawyer. You come in there and say, I'm really great. I do this. I do that. I do this. And then after all five lawyers have done their thing, the contestants vote. And whoever gets the most votes is the lawyer for the contestants for that season. Mind-blowing, Gary. That's how it works? You guys are basically auditioning for the gig. That is great. It's pretty fucking cool. Okay, awesome. I got on the list of lawyers that were under consideration. Then I actually had to do an interview to even make the short list, the five lawyers. Wow. So I had to go meet with the producers and their legal team and everything. So yeah, then I got put in the mix and season three was the first year that I got to do my presentation and I won. Amazing. That was Fantasia's year. And so you got to represent Fantasia. And I still represent Fantasia. That's very cool. That's very cool. She won. She won. And did any of like second or third place that year, did they go anywhere? Well, Jennifer Hudson. Whoa, she was in that too? She was in that year. She actually came in like seventh or eighth or something. Wow. Yeah, she went on to be... Huge, yeah, huge movie huge. star too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, okay. Um, so there's there've been a lot of really great performers that have come out of that. You know, it's really interesting because I have clients all the time. Prospective clients will come to me and say, "I've been asked to be on The Voice, and should I do it?" Mm. And I always say, well, "What else do you have going on?" It's a great like, question. If you don't have a lot else going on then this can be an easy way in. It's like a fast track mm-hmm. to the to the to an international sure. audience. But if you have a lot going on already, it's probably not a good idea. Because the the perception in the industry, unfortunately, is not always good about former contestants, even if they did well. Right. Because it's, the I, shows are essentially karaoke shows. I know. Yeah, I think what it does is it, it sort of decimates your credibility as an artist. I, I think. That's just me personally. Well, it can. You know? It yeah. can. So it's this real catch-22. Like, yeah. you get this incredible national exposure that you could buy. Yep. You're, sure. you know, you're For basically sure. getting to perform in front of millions and millions and millions of people. For sure. Labels would kill for that kind of It'd exposure. It'd probably take you like five years of slugging it out on right. the road, if you even get there. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got this incredible opportunity to be heard and seen for all these people, but unfortunately, you're singing other people's songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So being a great singer and being an artist are not always the same thing. Mm. 
And so you can get this reputation for being a great singer and nobody knows you as an artist. That's true. And, and honestly, most people I get signed to deals these days, they get signed more for their artistry than their singing. Of course. I feel it because there's far more great singers out there than great artists. Correct. I mean, look, the shows are not there to make great artists. They're there to get ratings. That's right. They don't really care what happens to the artist after that season, truth be told. I mean, truth be told. Right. I yeah. mean, I think they do. Of course, they would like their artists to succeed. It look, right. reflects well on them. Right. Did you enhance your game as a music lawyer from, from that experience? I mean, I assume I've enhanced, you know, honestly, it's like everything else is going to sound cliche, but I try and enhance my game every day. Every mm. experience I have, every new client, every new situation. Even how many years you've been doing this? 30 years. Wow. You still have that, that mindset? You, you got to. You got to. Mm. Um, you, if you don't have the mindset of, I'm going to learn something new every day and, and sharpen my game. Yeah. Then I, when, when that happens, then I'm time to, it's time for me to quit. Wow. Have you thought about, you know, leaving the music business? Because, I mean, you know, you saw the, you saw the golden days, didn't you? Yeah, Where you like, millions totally. of... Just, yeah. I never saw the golden days. Right. So I would imagine for a lot of people who were exposed to that and then now they see this new reality, it's, it's a tough pill for a lot of people. It um, is a tough and, pill, although yeah. I think most, most industry veterans that have been doing it as long as I have feel like the worst is over. Yeah, we've suffered through 15, 16 years of moments where people thought the music business is done. It's over. There was I mean, a, exactly in that window. You, it wouldn't be crazy to think of veterans thinking about leaving the business, right? Totally. Well, a lot of and people many did. did. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. did. But you know what, Sam? This is all I know how to do. <laughs> I mean, I'm a lifer. Yeah. There's no way I'm not going anywhere. I just changed. You know, I just became closer to the street so to speak and just built up all, you know people like you said even in bad times people still need lawyers they need them for different things yeah of course yeah. Um, and so I've just fortunately my skill set because I'm so entrepreneurial and because I'm an artist myself yeah. I was able to adapt and change my business model where I was helping a lot of more struggling up and coming artists sort of put things together and help them yeah. make plans and I had to be more entrepreneurial but in a way, it was kind of fun. It, again, it upped my game. I feel like I'm a wow. better lawyer now as things are starting to turn around because of my entrepreneurial skills and having survived some of really tough times. That's right. War wounds. I do have war wounds. <laughs> like I said, this is all I know, ever know how to do. I mean, I had friends and family who were like, maybe you should, maybe you should think about film law, maybe you should think about yeah. TV law, maybe you should yeah. think about doing copyright. I'm like, this is... No, you're a lifer. This is what I do. Yeah. Like, if... If it gets to the point where I don't have enough clients, then the music is probably dead. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's what 30 years gets you, too. You know, you, you, you got a foundation after 30 years. You where roots. you can, Yeah, you got roots. You got roots. So, and thank God I have a really strong reputation because I've always done good things for people. I don't rest on my laurels ever. I don't ever go into work and say, I've been doing this 30 years, so I'm cool. I'm good. I'm safe. No, yeah. I mean, I'm still got to be hustling just like, mm -hmm. just like day one. Mm-hmm. I, I got to be on my hustle yeah. just like day one, dude. Even like after like a big success or something like that, you know, it doesn't, you don't like, you don't like pause too long with that, right? You can never pause too long. Wow. Because you know what? There's a lot of hot young lawyers coming Calm up. Coming up, that, man. That all want my clients. <laughs> yeah, that's right. When I was a young lawyer, it was the you, big fish in a weird way. Now yeah. that I'm a big fish, it's yeah. the little fish that are trying to nip around at my client. 
You gotta worry about the little fish as much as the big. <laughs> Jerry, we're gonna put that in the show notes. That's a good quote, man. But you have friends that have said, fuck this, I'm oh, out of totally. here. And those were vets, you're saying. Totally. That, Absolutely. Yeah, wow. People gone into real estate, people gone into other things, they're like, I can't handle it. Yeah. Does that throw, I mean, it's, it's almost like seeing like a fellow comrade go down in like some gunfire or something, right? It does, it's, it's sad. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure it's sad. Yeah. And of course it, it gives you pause. Like, yeah. wow, you know, is that, is, am I next? Yeah. But you just can't let, you can't think that way. Again, music's my whole life as a player, right. as, a, as a business person, as a lawyer. I just don't have a choice. That's the, mm. and, and, and frankly, I think most creative people, you, the people that win, you have to have that attitude like, I don't have a choice. For yeah. me, that's, yeah. that's what it is. Hmm. You know, this, I believe this, I was put on this planet to do this, and hmm. I'm going to do it till I can't do it no that's more. That's powerful. Talk to us about um, side hustles. So I teach, I've taught at UCLA Extension now for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm teaching again this January on a, on, it's called Turning Your Talent Into Dollars. It's a really cool program. It keeps me sharp. Mm. Because as a teacher, like, you don't want to start getting asked questions that you're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Hey, Gary, how, did, how, how much do you get per stream from Spotify? I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's forced me to stay on my game. Mm. Which is really cool because as a professor, you're supposed to know shit. Of course, you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of music schools out there where the people doing the teaching haven't really been in the mix, right? You know, and I think exactly, yeah. and exactly, and I think that's a problem with yeah. academia in general. Mm-hmm. Is there are a lot of people teaching who don't really know what it's like to be on the front lines taking bullets? Absolutely. So it's it's I feel like I have a lot to offer people. Another thing we've talked about before, which I think is interesting, is, um, you know, you have been sort of courted or um, approached by bigger law firms throughout your career. Totally. And, you know, I feel like you've always said no, right? I've always said no. And can we talk about... Sure. Go into that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing against the law firms. Uh, Obviously, I have a lot of friends there, and and, um, there are more big law firms than people like me. I'm a bit of a dinosaur especially people at my level I mean there's a certain strength in numbers that happens at those firms that is undeniable mm-hmm. that when they pool their resources they can get more and more they have more relationships get mm-hmm. to more people so I get all that but I have a way of doing things that's very unique and I worked in the firms when I started enough to know that I would butt heads with with my partners in the firms mm-hmm. I know that I do a lot of what I'd call pro bono stuff. Mm-hmm. I cut deals for people all the time. I'm very mm-hmm. sensitive to this. I believe in this person. They need help. They can't really afford to pay mm-hmm. me what I'm worth. So I'm going to cut them a break because I believe in them and I think it'll pay off in the long term. Yep. And they're a good guy and they deserve it and they need help yeah. too. And that kind of stuff does not go over well in the firms. Cause it's about the bottom line period, right? Yeah, or what? exactly. Yeah. Well, you yeah, got to yeah, answer to yeah. your partners for your time. So at right. the end of the month, you're like, well, why'd you spend so much time on this artist right. that's not paying us anything? Every wow. month they have to justify how much money they're bringing in. Wow. And their business is like everything else. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, it's not a wrap on them. That's just, that's the way business works. Yeah. And I knew, I know that in order to do what I do, which is so much give back and so much, quote unquote, doing the right thing that I really, I can't answer to anybody for that. I have mm. to be able to just... That's powerful, I have Harry. to look in my own soul and That's say, powerful. I'm doing this and I don't have to explain it to anybody. I love that. I'll give you just one piece of wisdom that I heard recently. 
in Jewish tradition, an effective way to argue, to criticize, to get into disagreement with someone. Mm -hmm. And that's probably no more needed to, you know, no more needed than ever right now, because the way that our public discourse is, is all about insults and it's like name calling and insults and all the rest of it. It's a very non-Jewish way of Mm -hmm. disagreeing with someone. And basically what our tradition says is is that when you when you when you disagree with somebody, the first thing you're supposed to do before you say you're an idiot or I disagree, mm-hmm. is the Torah says you're supposed to make your ear a funnel. In other words, take as many opposing viewpoints in as possible mm-hmm. before you blurt out your mm. conclusion. Mm. You may be so sure that somebody's full of shit. And then all of a sudden, instead of just saying, you know what, you're full of shit, I disagree with you, Mm -hmm. you stop and you say, you know what, I heard you, let me look into it, let me get back to you, okay? And you do your research and you're like, wow, maybe they're not quite so full of shit as I thought. Mm -hmm. And that then affects how you respond instead of just being so sure that you're right. Somebody told me, just, and it's not Yiddish, but a really wise person just told me, it's not a crazy thing to ask yourself every so often, what if I'm wrong? <laughs> not only is it not crazy, it's yeah. very wise. There you go. There you um, go. Because we're all victims of, again, our insecurities, our anxieties. We tend to convince ourselves sometimes that we're right about stuff for the wrong reasons. Again, a big part of business in general is even when you get into a disagreement with someone, the art form is to argue with integrity and honor and facts and common sense and not from emotion or entitlement or anxiety. Did you learn this in law school, by the way? No. Or this is just... This is just stuff I learned along... They don't teach this in law school. They don't teach... No. (laughs) That's the Gary special. This is stuff I learned along the way. And when you do it that way, when the thing is done and somebody has won and somebody has lost or you've compromised somehow, Mm -hmm. it's just as important that the people you were opposing that you maintain a good relationship with them on the way out. Wow. Because it's a small business and you're going to see those people again. And if they feel like you treated them with respect Mm -hmm. and you, they feel like you fought fair, you didn't hit below the belt. Mm -hmm. You didn't, you know, and it's unfortunate because I think that our society has gotten to the point where it's okay to hit below. Winning is all that matters. If you have to lie, if you've got to hit below the belt, if you've got to sucker punch somebody, you do what you got to do because winning is all that matters. And I I don't agree with that because like you said a minute ago, it's about your root system. Yes. And your root system, you don't want to have poison roots. Exactly. You exactly. fuck somebody over because you lied to them or cheated to them or something. That's a It carries bad, on. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a poison root. Absolutely. That can end up killing opportunities down the road. You want all your roots to be healthy and and with integrity. And there are some lawyers who have more of a scorched earth, you know, mentality about making deals. It's like I'm just going to I'm just going to Try and strong arm my way don't, into yeah, positions. Yeah, so don't not, don't name names, but I'm sure you've you've clashed with uh, other attorneys. Absolutely. And and what is it? A small business, as we know, what's it like when you see these people three months later or whatever in another deal? Well, it's 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 definitely difficult. But it, I pride myself, like I said, it's really more their problem than mine, because I don't take anything personally. If I see them out and about, I'm totally cool. It's like, mm. I, you know, I'm not living in their world. I don't know what mm. pressure they're under. I don't know if they're having problems at home. True. I don't know what it is. And I don't take anything personally. You can't. 
You have I mean, to stay calm. You got to stay objective. That's part of what I get paid to do. Maybe you could like drop some wisdom on that. Like you can't take things personally. I feel like a lot of folks certainly do take a lot of things personally. Of course. What sort of wisdom would you um, put out there to to help people keep it in the right perspective? Well, because at the end of the day, you know what you're about. Mm. And so when you take stuff personally, you're letting somebody else convince you that you're not worthy. Mm. That's the only reason to take it personally. When somebody tells you, you know what, you suck, you know what, you fucked up, whatever, whatever. If you don't have confidence in your own integrity, then you're going to be like... You might start buying into that. Yeah, you're going to take it personally and say, get defensive and say, what do you mean, man? Yeah. But if you're really confident in yourself that that like whatever they're saying is their problem and they're projecting on you, then you're so much stronger. You're not validating any of that shit and you immediately get the high ground all the time. Wow. You never lose the high ground if you're always in that place. So tell us what your biggest blessing in disguise has been throughout your career. I think the biggest blessing in disguise is is the fact that I'm an active musician. Is that that I'm an active playing musician because it it balances me. It whenever I start to get discouraged, making music is such a profound experience for me that it it gives me the strength to go back in and say I need to stay in this business because mm-hmm. this magic is so powerful that no matter what challenges I have, I can't leave it. Because the business takes a lot from you. It's 24-7, it feels like. It demands a lot of you. It takes a lot from you. Um, I'm divorced, so I feel like the business, in a lot of ways, cost me my marriage. Mm. It wasn't the only thing. Mm. But um, it's tough. It's tough to sustain really because it's so it's so demanding. you got to find balance in your life. You know, the business can be, like you said, it's, it's, it can be all-consuming. Mm-hmm. But it's not really healthy. Mm. There are certain times in your business career where you may have to surrender to that when you're trying to build Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. But the trap you get into is even once you've built it, is you want more. You want more. You want more. You want more. Don't neglect your personal life and the people that are important to you. You know, it's really hard. I've seen people in this business, man, you know, uh, you know, fifties, like never been married. I mean, it's nuts. What? Well, yeah, and you know. and honestly, on some level, that's actually wise. Rather than get into a relationship and then not be able to really give to it, and it's not even time. The thing, the revelation I've learned is not so much time; it's quality of time. Okay, Mean, um, meaning like it's meaning you know. that you're not present even when you're with mm, right, friends and right, family because right. you're so burnt and you're so consumed. That you got you're deals never, kicking around in your head, yeah, right? You're yeah, answering yeah, the phone, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, doing, uh-huh. you're you're checking emails. Yep. You're never really present for other wow. people and other things. Wow. And it's a trap. It's like a drug. Well, because the deal seems life or death in a lot of cases, it doesn't really it, Gary? Does. It really does to yeah. people. And so I'm always the first one. People know me. Like I'll crack jokes. I'll do very borderline inappropriate, say inappropriate <laughs> things just to get everybody to take a breath. My reputation is the most important thing to me. Always has been. Mm. And so more than the money, obviously, more than the money, yeah. more, than the money more than the ego, more yeah. than the validation. You know, people I go out all the time. People are like you're Gary Greenberg, and I'm like, yeah. I think so, like <laughs> I'm looking around, like I don't know, this is, maybe he's here somewhere. 
But I always still just consider myself really to be like a humble servant of my clients. And I never have let it get to my head. I know people in the business think of me in a certain way. Yeah. And it always kind of takes me aback a little bit. The reputation, you're saying. The reputation, yeah. yeah. Um, no, but but I mean, the, the, the reputation, the, the regard that people have for my name and stuff takes me a little back. Because again, I see myself as just a humble guy just trying to do good stuff. None of it day. went to your head, really. It really That's hasn't. really great. I refuse to let it. Lastly, what's your favorite quote? I was watching a movie the other night and Winston Churchill was on there. I, I've always liked, you have nothing to fear but fear itself. And take it to the next step. The reason why that quote is so important because like. fear is what holds us all back from achieving our goals and being our higher selves i believe that we're all capable of so much more than we allow ourselves to achieve mm. because we convince ourselves we can't do shit we convince ourselves it's too hard we convince ourselves we're not smart enough we're not capable enough and that's all fear talking instead of just saying I'm going to trust myself. I know I have abilities. I know I'm smart. Mm, but yeah. at the end of the day, what holds most people back is their own fear of failure, their own fear of being judged. And even entertainers. I think one of the hardest things I see in young entertainers that come into my office is they're holding back. Because they're fearful. Because they're fearful of making a mistake. They're fearful of hitting a wrong note. They're fearful of going for something and missing. Wow. And unfortunately, that's what people so want. People so, want to see people who take chances, who go for that note. Who might mess it, up. Even if they don't hit it. Because it almost inspires us to break out our fear. That's what it is. Wow, that's powerful. Oof. Gary, such a pleasure, man. I'm really, really grateful to have you on the show. Thanks, Sam. Lots of gems on here. Thank you, Gary, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next episode. Thank you so much again for tuning in to today's episode. It really means the world to me. If you heard anything relatable that created new awareness for you, please visit our podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or review. This helps build our audience. Please comment, like, and share this episode out with your family, friends, coworkers, or anyone who you feel would benefit from the messages shared in today's episode. I'm really, really grateful for your help in spreading these messages of hope and wisdom. The world is in such great need right now, and your support helps carry the message onward to others who need it. Also, please consider becoming a monthly financial contributor to the podcast. You can do so by visiting connectionismagic.com and clicking on the Patreon link. Patreon is a third-party platform which helps support creators in exchange for exclusive content and offers. You'll be able to get discounted merchandise like comfy hoodies, t-shirts, as well as retreat discounts where we'll have special guest speakers and group activities to connect you with like-minded community members. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, please stay connected.